Well, this is the day we've been praying about and looking forward to for some time now. So, at the close of my message today, I'm going to invite you to come on up front here and participate in two ways. First, I invite you to um, put your commitment cards, filled out commitment cards, in the next move envelopes and put them in these boxes, one of these three boxes here on stage. Many of you probably came with this card already filled out. If you didn't, if you forgot your card, left it at home, we have more of these in the seat pockets uh, in front of you. And you can go ahead and uh, use those and fill those out. If you did bring uh, today and you're prepared to give a one-time gift today, um, you can include that in the envelope as well and put these in the, the wooden box up front. The second thing I'm going to invite you to do is, uh, you should have noticed already, these little pieces of wood that are on your chairs. There's a felt marker next to that. So what we're going to do is we're going to um, ask you to write something on these pieces of wood, and then we're going to take these pieces of wood and put them in the dirt that forms the foundation of the kids' building. And so we're inviting you to consider writing maybe three, one of three things on this particular piece of wood. Uh, one would be a prayer for this community maybe, for this church. You could write that on this. Another might be uh, a scripture reference, a verse that is meaningful to you and it might even apply to you know, everything we're doing through this. The third option would be to write the name of a person that you're praying for that as far as you know is not a follower of Jesus Christ and you can put that name on this piece of wood. And then, so in addition to the commitment card envelopes that are going in these boxes, we've got these little buckets here, the Seabreeze buckets next to that. You can put the pieces of wood in those buckets uh, as you come forward. So again, we're going to give you some time at the end of the message, so you don't need to fill out these right now. We'll give you some time at the end of the message to fill these out um, and then come on up front um, to deposit both of these items uh, in the appropriate location. Now, for those of you who are watching online, you can text the word next move. I know that's two words, but of course it's text, so we put them together. So text the word next move to 474747, and that's the way for you to get a digital version of this commitment card, and you can fill out the commitment card uh, that way. Also, we don't have a digital way for you to fill out pieces of wood. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a... Um, a station set up on the north side of the auditorium outside all week where we have these pieces of wood. You can come by, take a piece of wood, write something on it, and then there'll be a drop box there. So we'll have that on the north side of the auditorium all week. So if you're not with us today and you're watching this online, you can swing by anytime this week and add yours um, and what you've written on there to what we're doing today. So I think by now we've all made our decisions on this. We've prayed about giving to this next move effort. We've thought about it. We've talked about it. Uh, most likely, we've argued some about it. And we have decided what to give. So we're going to make our next move today. And the question I want to address today is, now what? What's going to happen? I mean, the first question, of course, is will there be enough money given to build the kids' building as we're hoping and planning to do? The answer, of course, is, I don't know. I am going to announce the total that's given in a few weeks. We're going to announce that on Sunday, December 6th, and then we'll know. And we'll know what we're going to do next. But until then, we just aren't sure. We don't know. 
So today what I want to do is I want to talk about two things that we do know for sure is going to happen as a result of our gifts, as a result of our generosity today. Generosity, it turns out, is kind of like a boat cutting through the water in that it leaves a wake in its past. And every wake, of course, has two sides to it, and that's true of generosity, of giving as well. Whenever we decide to give, we'll leave a two-sided wake behind us. So I want to talk about the two sides of the generosity wake this morning. The first thing that always happens on the backside of giving is that it changes us. Generosity changes us. It changes us. In 45 AD, a famine that lasted about five years struck the Palestine region of the Middle East, and the brand new church that was struggling in Jerusalem was really struggling to survive in the middle of this famine. So the Apostle Paul, who had planted many of the new churches in the Mediterranean basin, he went back to and wrote some of the churches that had started, and he asked them to give generously to the needs that the church in Jerusalem had. Now, one of the churches that gave was a small struggling church, and really they were all small struggling churches, but this was a small struggling church in the city of Corinth. And in his second letter to that church, it's part of the New Testament, we now know it as 2 Corinthians, but in this letter, Paul identifies the kind of impact that their gift is going to have on them, the kind of impact that generosity has. So let me set up kind of this gift that Paul is referring to, and then we'll talk about its impact. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 2, we read this. Paul says, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. That's another region beyond Corinth. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up rich generosity. What Paul is saying is, let me tell you guys, about what's happening in some of the churches across the Aegean from where your city is. He's pointing out, first of all, the timing of my request for this gift couldn't have been worse. I mean, they, they are going through a severe trial right now. I mean, this was really true of all early churches. Early churches were under extreme persecution, often hiding for their lives. And it wasn't just that times were tough, that there was a severe trial. They were going through what Paul referred to now as, as extreme poverty. What this means is they were literally struggling to find enough food to eat. So, but out of this group of churches who were going through severe trials and were characterized by extreme poverty, two things that really don't belong on a description of those two items that don't belong with a list that starts with severe trial and extreme poverty, two things welled up out of these churches. The first was rich generosity, and the second was an overflowing joy. Now, that's surprising. I mean, first, rich generosity. I mean, how, how could a, a bunch of people who are characterized by extreme poverty, how could they be richly generous? I mean, they don't have a lot. Well, generosity 
in Scripture is measured not by the size of the gift, but by the sacrifice of the gift. This is why you may know of the story that Jesus told in Mark chapter 12 of a widow who gave what he said was the most generous gift he'd ever seen. She gave two pennies. Clearly, it wasn't the largest gift that had ever been given. It might have been one of the smallest gifts that had ever been given. But Jesus knew her situation and knew that she was in extreme poverty. And she, out of her dedication to God, we don't know what prompted it, but she decided, you know what, I'm going to give everything. We don't know whether it's like, I only got two pennies and I really need God's help. I might as well give. We don't know. But Jesus looked at that gift and knew her heart and said, that's the most generous gift I've ever seen. That just doesn't happen. And Paul is saying, this is what happened with this church. If you knew the sacrifice that is represented by this gift, you'd be amazed at how richly generous they've been. But the second thing was also interesting. What lingered for these people long after they gave their gifts was this overflowing joy. Now, the money was gone, of course, because that's when you give money, it's gone. But what lingered, what stayed was this joy. What was the source of their joy? Was it that all of a sudden their trials dissipated and their, their poverty took a turn and they became better resourced? No. I mean, if you read through the history of the early church, you know that This was a long slog of extreme trial and extreme poverty. So what generated the joy wasn't that God suddenly changed their circumstances. It was the generosity itself that had produced this joy. How is that possible? Well, generosity is kind of like a well. It's kind of like digging a well. What it does is it taps into the aquifer of God's joy. The reason is giving is one of the closest things to the heart of God. It's one of the key elements of his character. You know, the most famous verse in the Bible is John 3.16. It says, for God so loved the world that he what? Let's just sing along. God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He gave. He gave his one and only son. This is the very nature of God. So it turns out generosity is like, really it's like drilling a well in the desert. Here's a picture of a well in Africa. It doesn't really matter how bad things are on the surface of life, how dry and under-resourced things are. What giving does is it drills a well into our heart that allows us to tap into the water table of God's joy. Another way of saying it is generosity, giving, generates a smile from the heart of God that resonates and echoes deep in our soul. But joy, it turns out, isn't the only impact that generosity has on us or had on them. Paul goes on to say something pretty interesting in verse 5 of that chapter, 2 Corinthians 8, 5. It says, and they did not do as we expected, these Macedonian churches who gave sacrificially and with overflowing joy. They didn't do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So Paul was surprised 
by what their generosity was connected to. There was more going on than just the gift itself, Paul noticed. He identifies two connections. He said, first, they had given themselves to the Lord, and then, he said, you gave yourselves to us. They gave themselves to Paul and the leaders of their churches. This is a fascinating thing that always occurs when we give sacrificially. The act of giving a visible gift to any church is always connected to these two previous gifts. Another way of saying it is, you won't give if you haven't already given these two previous gifts, these internal invisible gifts that no one can see. The first gift is you give your heart to God. Paul says they gave themselves to the Lord. That's why they gave this gift. And the second is you give yourself to a specific church. So if you're giving a sacrificial gift today, it means at least these two things. It means, first of all, you've already decided to give your life to God and you want to do what he wants. If you're wrestling with that, if you're not sure about that, that's fine. But the last thing you would do then is give a generous gift to God if you're not really surrendered to him. And if you give to a specific church like this, it's because you trust the leaders of this church and you believe that God is at work here. If you don't like what we're doing as leaders, if you don't trust me, if you don't trust what the leaders are doing, why in the world would you give sacrificially to this? You wouldn't. And Paul says this, this caught him by surprise. He didn't expect this. But I've seen this myself several times. Whenever people give generously to this particular church, it's because they've already decided you know what, I really want to do what God wants with my resources. I'm checking in with him. And they've already decided, you know what, I, I really trust these leaders. I, I really like what Seabreeze is doing. I think they're following God, and, and I want to be a part of that. Same thing that happened to the churches in the first century. Those two things. You gave yourself first to the Lord, and then to us, in keeping with God's will. In other words, this is the way it's supposed to work. This is the way God's designed things. So this outside giving of money is connected to the inside giving of your heart. And they actually, they affect each other. So if you give yourself to God and you give yourself practically to his work at a church, it will show up in your giving. It's just automatic. And conversely, if you give to a church, it will deepen your heart commitment to God and to that church. I think the biggest win in all of this effort is not the building itself. That is a win, if that God grants that. I think the biggest win is this, the impact that it's going to have on our hearts. What I've noticed over time is when people wrestle with and they decide to give generously, sacrificially, they grow. And they lean into involvement in this church in a way that they hadn't before. Another way of saying is, I'm not going to give this kind of money and not really help this thing move forward. I mean, those things go together. So one of the things I'm excited about is not potentially seeing a building being constructed and what God can do in that building, which is exciting. What I'm excited about, excited about is seeing the wake 
of all kinds of growth that's going to occur as a result of this. Whenever people demote money and elevate God, it changes their hearts and it causes them to grow. So that's the first wake. The second wake is that generosity changes the future. It doesn't just change us personally. It ends up changing the future as well. Listen to how Paul describes this generosity wake of these churches in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the next chapter. Verse 10, he says this, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. God supplies seed, which are the resources. That's why it talks about bread for food, because with seed you can make it into flour and you can eat it, or you can plant it in the ground and grow more seed. Those are kind of your two basic options with resources. You can go buy groceries, or you can invest it in the future. And it says God supplies seed. He supplies resources to who? The one who stores that seed? The one who eats that seed? No, he primarily resources those who sow that seed, who invest that seed in what he's doing for the future. You see, it's when we give to God, when we take a chunk of the seed that God has given us, the resource given us, and we give to him, this verse says three things are going to happen. The first thing is, he's going to supply your store of seed. In other words, he's going to see that your needs are met. This is one of the challenges in giving. Well, if I, if I give what I've got in the barn, or we would say in the bank, then I'm concerned because I need that. And this says, well, if you take the risk of sowing, God's going to make sure that he helps, that he supplies the store of seed. In addition to that, not just is he going to make sure that your needs are met, he's going to increase your store of seed. He'll give you more than you need. Now, that's not just going to show up in bank accounts. It's going to show up in all kinds of ways. He'll resource. We've talked about this. But here's the most exciting thing, I think. The third thing that's going to happen is it says, he will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. He's going to turn the seed that we're planting, the resources that we're giving today, into an ever-expanding harvest of what? Of righteousness. What God grows from the dollars we give is righteousness. What is righteousness? The root of the word is right. Basically, it increases the number of people who are going to do what God says is right and the amount of right that those people are doing. They're going to grow, and more of them are going to come to follow Jesus Christ. So this harvest of righteousness shows up in the number of people who decide to follow Jesus Christ and in their growth. To use the harvest analogy, more trees are planted and more fruit grows on those trees. More people doing what is right. But righteousness isn't the only byproduct of gifts like these. 2 Corinthians 9.10, a couple verses later, says, This service, speaking of this, this giving they're doing, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, you know, it's taking care of the needs in Jerusalem, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. This is really interesting. He says, this gift 
looks like on the surface, it's just going to supply the needs of the Christians in Jerusalem. In our case, it's just going to build a kid's building. But there's, again, there's much more going on than this. Turns out their gifts, like our gifts, are going to be like the first dominoes in a long line of dominoes. And the dominoes are dominoes of thanks. People thanking God. When you give in the name of Jesus Christ to his church like these Corinthians did and like the Macedonian churches did, it multiplies thanks to God. How exactly does that happen? Well, let's look at you as domino number one. If you're a follower of Christ, are you grateful to him for his mercy in your life? Oh, yeah. Are you thankful for how he's changed you? Maybe not as much as you'd like, but what he has done? Definitely. Now, how could you multiply that thanks? Well, you could remember to thank God more. That would be more thanks. And that's good, but that's adding thanks. This verse is talking about multiplying thanks. That's a different function. Multiplication is different than addition. Thanks is multiplied when there are more thankers thanking God. That's how it's multiplied. It's added when we become more grateful, which is good. But this is talking about multiplication. So what we are giving to today is a place where kids can learn about Jesus Christ and can learn to follow him. And it's a place where families can find help for their marriages and in raising their kids. What's the result of that going to be? A lot of thanks. Oh, thanks. Thanks to Maybe some of us, but ultimately thanks to God. He's the one that does this. Third John chapter, verse 4 says this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. If you're a parent, you know this. You didn't need this verse to tell you. You live this. And as parents, we know the pain of the other side of this what deep grief it is to watch our children walk away from the truth. Now, a kid's building does not make anyone accept Jesus by itself. It doesn't make anyone grow in Jesus. Everybody has to decide. But often it requires a word or a number of words or an example from someone and it's in places like this, and in that building and the other places here on campus, where a lot of these interactions can take place. It's not the only place, of course, but it's kind of the focus of those transactions. So what we are building is a potential, not guaranteed, but a potential joy factory that cranks out a lot of thanks to God on behalf of parents and kids. Now, like any factory, let me get clear on this, the workers are the key, and actually more important than that is the product, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ for us. The workers are the key. But the building, if you're cranking out a factory, the building really it helps to have a place. You know, if you're a parent raising children right now, it really, really helps for you to have a place called home 
to do that. That's obvious. And it's also very important that you feed them. That's obvious. But it's not obvious to the kids. It's obvious to you because you're paying for it. Because you know that food and shelter, when it comes to raising kids, don't just materialize. You got to buy a house and pay the mortgage. You got to rent an apartment and pay the rent. You got to go to the store and buy the groceries. Someone needs to pay for that stuff. I still remember how old I was when this sunk in. Now, I knew about this, I'd heard about this. But it wasn't until I was 22 where this sunk in. I had just paid for rent for the first time in my life. And I was hungry. So I went to the pantry in my new apartment and looked for some food. And there was some food in there, but it was like a bag of flour, some rice. I think there was a bag of beans. And it was nothing that I wanted to eat. And I still remember in that moment, I suddenly realized, huh, it's now my job to buy stuff to go in this pantry. Again, I knew this. I'd heard about this. My parents had alluded to it. But it wasn't until that moment where I realized, huh, not only do I have to write checks every week for rent, I got to write checks every week. This was the old days when you wrote checks. I had to write checks every week for food. And the second thing that occurred to me in that moment is, so my parents have been doing this for decades? Wow. And there was just a wave of gratitude that came over me. I mean, they didn't come home every day saying, well, I worked really hard, so you can have a bed to sleep in. You know, they didn't rub it in our face. That's not appropriate. But I was just so grateful for all of their provision. I had the same kind of aha moment about church life 16 years ago for me. I had grown up, thankfully, in a church. But it had never occurred to me that the land that that church sat on and the buildings that we went to hadn't just materialized. It just never occurred to me. Kind of like growing up, it never occurred to me that, who's paying for this house? Who's buying this food? It just never occurred to me just because it materialized. Just like the church I grew up in did. It just, it was there. So I just, like a kid, I kind of assumed it's just there. Then we bought this land and we built these buildings. And I saw how many generous people it really takes to do this kind of thing. And just like that moment in that apartment when I was 22, a wave of gratitude rolled over me to all those people, many of whom I had no idea who they were, who when that church needed to buy that land, they said, you know what, I'm going to give sacrificially to that. And when that church needed to build those buildings, they said, you know what, I'm going to give sacrificially to that. And they set aside their plans and they rearranged their finances so that me, as a kid, could grow up and hear about Jesus Christ and have conversations that shaped my life and my eternity. I owe them a debt of gratitude, and I don't even know who they are. And now, most people who walk on this campus on any given Sunday don't, don't ever think that 
this land didn't just materialize and these buildings weren't just built, that a lot of people sacrificed a lot of money for this to happen. Now, it's not appropriate for me to stand up every Sunday and say, hey, here's a list of all the people that gave, send them a note, any more than it's appropriate for a parent to say, hey, I'm paying a lot of money for you. No, we do it out of love, out of gratitude. But I, I just want you to know that when you give to this, there is going to be overflowing joy in your heart and generations of thanks to God because you're sacrificing. You know, the kind of children 3 John 4 is talking about primarily is spiritual children. That's what John's referring to. He's taking the truth that we all know in family life and he's applying it to the family of God. And that's why it is the greatest privilege of my life to sacrifice, for my wife and I to sacrifice so that many might find Jesus and grow here. My wife and I, we count it an honor to add our gift to your gift today. So now I want to give you a moment. We're going to take some time to do what I said. I want to give you a moment to fill out that connection or that commitment card if you haven't got that done yet. Seal it up, put it in the envelope. If you have a gift, fine, put it in there. If not, you can give it later. And then also, take that piece of wood, write a verse, a prayer, maybe a name of someone that you're praying for in that piece of wood. And then, as soon as you're done, as soon as you're ready, you may be ready right now. That's fine. As soon as the music starts playing and I stop talking, then come on up to the front. Put the commitment cards in these boxes and put the pieces of wood in the buckets. And we're going to announce the total of what God has led us collectively to give to this next move effort on Sunday, December 6th. So go ahead and finish filling out whatever you need to fill out and then come on up front. I'm going to ask Steve just to play a little background music. And then when everyone's done, we're going to, we're going to pray together and then sing our final song. So let's do this together. Why don't you go ahead and stand, join me in prayer, and then we'll sing our final song of worship today. Let's pray. Father, these gifts that we are giving are close to our heart. They represent, in some cases, plans that we've set aside or delayed. They represent purchases that we are not going to make. And many other things. And that's why our hearts are deeply attached to these gifts. But we give these gifts to you, O oh God. Because you are more important to us. And because the mission that you've called us to is more important to us. We ask that you would use these gifts. And this moment to initiate a wave of change in us and in our community that would move outward. Father, we ask that you would turn these dollars into changed lives, into a harvest of righteousness. I pray that you would bless these givers, not just financially, but personally. 
Father, in this year, particularly when joy is in short supply, we pray that you would use these gifts to open up the aquifer of your joy in our hearts. We pray this now in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Let's worship.